what if your legacy isn't what you leave behind, but something you create every day of your life? What if you started acting the way you want to be remembered right now and shared your unique gifts with the world? Welcome to Audiobook Reviews in 5. This is Yana, also known as Jana, and today I'm trying something new. An extended podcast interview with my brilliant, kind, and inspiring friend, Cody Shuan. Cody is the author of Everyday Legacy, Lessons for Living with Purpose Right Now. He's also a sought-after consultant and speaker on a mission to redefine legacy as something that you personify each day of your life. This book is for anyone who wants to rethink their own legacy and start living it now. Everyday Legacy shares vital lessons for living informed by Shuin's experiences as a funeral director who developed a deep understanding of the reality of death. From tales of unexpected friendship as a young volunteer in palliative care to what he learned through his estranged father's funeral, Everyday Legacy shows us what it means to be deeply human, undeniably mortal, and how to choose a life that matters. Before we get started, I want to share a brief note. Although Cody's plans to record an audiobook were put on hold during the COVID-19 pandemic lockdown, he's still planning to release an audiobook version of Everyday Legacy as soon as he can make it to the recording studio. All things considered, I highly recommend you check out his book right now. It's an uplifting, relatable, and poignant read. You can find out more, including a complete list of booksellers, by visiting everydaylegacy.com. And now, my conversation with Cody. Cody, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Yana, thank you so much for having me. It's fantastic to have you here. I know you've been super busy with your book launch activities, and you actually had plans to record an audiobook. Tell me how that happened and and what's happened since those plans fell through. Well, I mean, like most people's calendars over the course of the last several weeks and months, so much has changed. And so for me, uh, you know, the intent to record an audiobook was one of those things on the calendar, which got canceled. Uh, I shouldn't say canceled, postponed for the time being. And so I'm looking forward to getting into the studio so that people like you who consume audiobooks like, uh, you know, like crazy uh, can uh, have it to hear as opposed to just read and print. I'm super excited to hear that audiobook once you have a chance to get in the studio and record it. But in the meantime, I thought this book was so timely. And in spite of the confusion and the disruption that you've no doubt faced in your schedule, sharing the book on tour and and doing interviews, I wanted to promote this book with my audience and and give you a chance to share the messages and the storytelling, because I think that's so timely and helpful right now. So talk a little bit about the idea of legacy and what it means right now, especially in our current circumstances. Yeah, well, it's it's relevant, I think, right now, because one of the things that I introduce in the book is this concept of the pause. And the idea in the book is that we actually take the time to fill our own cup ourselves, be that with meditation or yoga or reading or even time with our children or a hobby, something that you know fills us up. And most people can't find the time in a normal schedule to do those things. They're the things that we complain about not having, in fact, enough time to do. Mm -hmm. 
And yet here we are with the world sort of on a global pause uh, situation. And people are finding that they have an abundance of time, but within that time, now there are new responsibilities. You know, So for instance, parents have now become educators. Entrepreneurs have had to become financial accountants to figure out if they qualify for grants or benefits just to try and keep their teams employed. Uh, some have tried to pivot towards being uh, a marketing guru to try and make sure that through COVID-19, their messages are still heard. And so, in fact, it's what, what this pandemic has also created is this pandemic productivity, as I like to say, where people are having to do a lot more maybe than they ever would have in this space of what I like to call the pause, because mm -hmm. it's just, it was not elective. We didn't choose to have this. Most of us have been quarantined either because we are sick or had exposure or because we want to keep loved ones and frontline health workers safe. Absolutely. And there's a lot of memes and, and discussion on social media about using this time to learn a new language or a new skill. And at the same time, there's a lot of folks who maybe feel like this is not the easiest time for them to focus or do their best work or be creative. But one of the ideas I love about your book is the idea that legacy isn't about these um, great works, these masterpieces that we have to um, impress everybody with their grandiosity. What would you say people can, can uh, feel inspired by? Maybe they're locked down in a situation where they don't have a lot of time or they don't have that focus to be creative. What would you tell them about crafting their legacy and feeling a sense of purpose in spite of the circumstances? Well, the way that I define legacy, you know, being first of all, something that we live every single day, not just something we leave, is mm -hmm. powerful when we consider what our legacies are currently in the everyday. And mm -hmm. for, for me, it's about the values and the characteristic characteristics with which we show up. And so it's less about things. It's not about bank accounts and cars and assets, jewelry, things like that. This is about the impact that we make in the lives of those around us and the, you know, ultimately for the greater good. And so legacy is really something for me that's defined as impact for me. And that is to just level up in some way every single day purposefully and to impact one person. Doesn't matter if it's someone close to me, if it's a grocery clerk, if it's a barista, doesn't matter who that person is, but to find ways to curate that goodness, if you will, in the world. And those opportunities are all around us right now. Just because we are uh, distanced from one another, this idea of social distancing, I think, was a bit of a, a misstep, if you will, in labeling what it is. Because we, while we are physically distanced, we don't have to be socially apart from one another. You know, you and I are here on this podcast. That's a connection. Uh, I've been running a book club over the last several weeks for the book. That's a connection. You know, we, you know, even if we don't have someone in our homes with which to be um, at this time, we can still reach out via technology. Um, you know, for the same technology we may have cursed a month and a half and ago, a month and a half ago. Um, you know, we're thankful for today. Mm -hmm. A lot more folks on Facebook these days, eh? 
Facebook, Zoom, Instagram, all these all these places that maybe we would have tried to avoid in the past, some of us, uh, yeah. and now are turning to embrace, including you know our our, our older demographics, like grandparents, for instance. Uh, my grandmother in particular has been just having a joy of a time on FaceTime, and by joy of a time, I mean I think she's hating every minute, but she's <laughs> but she's trying, and uh, and you know the camera angles are often funny, um, and uh, but it's it, it's not about that. It's about the spirit of the connection and the, and the values that whoever is doing those things uh, bring to one another. Yeah. And this is an interesting way to see some of the ideas that you've written about play out. You've been writing this book since 2017, but certainly these circumstances are unlike anything we've ever lived through. So if you had to look back at even the last six weeks or so, would you say your perspective has shifted or the way that you look at something has changed? Have you changed your mind about anything that you've written about or believed or, or valued? For me, no. It, 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 I think that this time is about less about pivoting and more about protecting. You know, mm-hmm. protecting the ideas that we have, the convictions we believe in, and spending time with them to realize, are we still as convicted about this thing or that thing? Do we still believe as strongly in this or that? And so for me, it, it's less about seeing something differently in times like this and more the consideration of, could I see something differently? You know, as you know, the the image on the cover of the book is a finger snap, and that that theme runs through the book so many Uh, at so many junctures. And I think that this is one of those moments, you know, how I define the idea of the finger snap is it's not about changing your mind in the snap of a finger. It's just the decision to potentially see things differently that may lead to you changing your mind. And so I haven't changed my mind about much right now. I mean, certainly there's, I think I, I would have to sort through a litany of things that I might be able to change my mind on because so much has changed in the last month and a half. And that in and of itself might be overwhelming. So for me, it's just, it's just about the consideration. It's just about standing objectively and trying to see things from multiple perspectives and then consider which one I galvanize to personally. That's a great point of view to have. I have a feeling a lot of people can relate to that too. Um, I think a lot of what I take from your book is actually emotional. It's it's not necessarily abstract theoretical concepts. It's how a story hits me. Mm. And one of the most poignant characters or stories, I should say, in your book is about your father, Bob. And you came to know him in a very different light following his death. But when you when you share that story now and you reiterate some of the highlights, I, I don't want to recap, of course, because I want people to read this book. I think it's an incredible takeaway. But what do you want readers to to get from that story or to to come away with um, with a different perspective? I think that the the lesson that really drives home in that particular chapter is that things aren't always as they seem. Mm-hmm. And Sometimes what disables us from seeing things a certain way is that very strong voice in our minds. And I like to call that the ego. And this is not a new concept uh, to most people, but for some it will be. And, and that is that the, the ego will create a construct in your mind about something. And the more it is fed, the more it 
takes up residency and just stays almost as if it's a permanent resident in your uh, in your mental space. And for me, with my father, that's exactly what happened. I had built up this tolerance, if you will, for what our relationship should be or could be. And uh, as you know, through the book, he, it was an estranged relationship. And I didn't know him much after my early teens. And then in my mid-20s, he passed away. And so without giving away too much from the chapter, uh, my ego would have had me say that he should have been a better father, mm -hmm. that he should have showed up in more powerful ways as my dad, that I deserved to have that father figure in my life. And yet when I stripped it away, when I quieted the ego and I really took an objective look after he was gone, I realized that while he wasn't much of a father, he was one heck of a friend. He had a lot of people come to his funeral and they were lost. They were sad that he was gone. They were upset that he had passed away. There was a hole in their lives. And that wasn't one that I could relate to because it wasn't a space that he occupied for me. But there's this beautiful space that children and parents often hit a stride in life, if you will, where they become really good friends in addition to mm -hmm. their parental and child relationship. Mm -hmm. And when I stand back and look objectively now, if he were still living, chances are high that we would have struck that same stride because it was clear to me when he passed away that while he didn't maybe have the capacity to be a great father, he was a wonderful friend to many people. And so it really, that in this chapter, I talk about how how um, how these kind of perspectives can be a catalyst in our lives when we apply them in other instances, in other circumstances with other people. And that is usually the ones that are difficult or challenging. Is there more to mm -hmm. be seen? Is there something that we're missing because that ego in our in our in our mind is just so uh, so bolstered to a certain perspective? And so that's um, that chapter resonates with a lot of people. Uh, for you know, they don't necessarily have the same relationship with their own father, but usually there's someone in their life that they can slide into that position and see themselves in the story. Absolutely, and one of the key uh, themes that that I love about that part of your your book is how helpful it is to have a reminder with problematic relationships or re relationships that are maybe problematized by our ego and by our sense of expectation that we see ourselves in the world a certain way and we expect other people's behavior to live up to, to our expectation. Um, and and one of the words you, you've brought up certainly is ego and that comes up in your book. And I know that you and I share an interest in Stoicism and Stoic philosophy. So I'm really interested in the idea of ourselves as a fluid entity versus a fixed, um, a fixed identity with um, all these dependencies on ex, you know, who we think we should be based on what our parents think or based on what our culture tells us is is worthwhile. So, when you think about our ego, um, and, and something that each of us has to confront at some point, or maybe we don't have to, but I certainly recommend con confronting and reflecting on that <laughs> idea. Um, 
what do you draw from that in your own life? And what do you recommend for others? How do we reflect on our ego or, or encounter it in a useful, a practical, but even a forgiving way? Because it's also easy to get caught up in the idea that, you know, I shouldn't be this way or I shouldn't have expectations too. I think for me, the easiest way that I, that I identify these things, the exercise that I go through is looking back in my life at the things that I have not been able to resolve that others may have suggested I should. Mm. So let me give you an example. When I was a student, I can't tell you if there was ever a report card that said, Cody doesn't talk too much. or uh, Cody is too distracted, needs Mm -hmm. to pay attention more. And, you know, fast forward to where I am now and I am paid as a professional speaker to talk. And Mm -hmm. that distracted mind is one that I embrace fully. It's a creative mind. It's one that is constantly looking for new opportunities and for different perspectives. And so the very things that, you know, many people with good intentions, I, I, I don't doubt that their intentions were pure, tried to suppress are the very things that I can't suppress. They're the things that are in fact gifts in my life. So mm. for listeners, when they think about those things that maybe others have tried to suppress or tried mm-hmm. to quiet, um, the truth is if they are constantly bubbling up, there's a chance that that it may be something that is just part of who you are. And if you can transform it into something beautiful, and by transform it into something beautiful, I mean just your perspective on it. Because here's the challenge with with those kind of situations and that kind of example. As a kid, if you hear repeatedly, Cody talks too much, Cody talks too much, Cody talks too much, doesn't Cody eventually not begin to believe that himself? Mm-hmm. And so where you know, that, that, now that's a, that's an easy example of talking, but the creative mind example, or always distracted, you know, these are things that we hear as children and as adults, we do it to each other as well. We do it with peers. We do it with our loved ones. We all put expectations on others that we, we would probably be better for not serving up and that they would probably be better for not having to burden themselves with trying to sort through. And, you know, one of the things when I was writing this book that I was very careful of was not to make it prescriptive. And you've already identified, you know, that you saw yourself in the stories, that it wasn't a prescriptive book. And so when I was doing that, what I wanted people to do, in particular when I'm talking, and I actually do talk about this in the book, is to look for ways to identify the things that may be the gifts in their lives and really use those powerfully uh, to their benefit and to the benefit of those around them. And by those around them, it can mean the people they live with, the people in their professional life. It can mean the world, whatever that means to them. But uh, that would be what I would say are the ways to, um, the ways, it's one of the ways that I identify those things in my life. Mm-hmm. I love that idea of not being prescriptive, but sharing a story and allowing it to resonate with people, with readers or listeners of audiobooks, and letting them to find letting them find the lesson or the meaning for uh, for themselves. And so, when I think about this book, and I think about how you've talked about it a little bit, I 
I really appreciate that you 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 ended up not being prescriptive. I think you mentioned at some point in conversation that your publisher had, you know, suggested it as an idea based on the genre. And I'm so glad you didn't because I find it incredibly powerful. And I also wonder if that comes from your your long experience witnessing being out around other people's stories. You have so many great stories of your family, but you also have a background in the funeral industry. And so through all those years, you would have sat around tables with families, friends, and loved ones, and you would have taken in a lot of incredible stories with impact that you you probably still remember to this day. Mm-hmm. So when you think about all of that experience and you think about the insights that maybe you you came away from that, that part of your career, what would you say about finding meaning um, in our experiences from day to day and, and, and making sense of what happens to us when it isn't within our control, like so much is not within our control right now? What, what would you say about that? I like to say that the meaning of life is to find meaning in life. And so no matter what that is for you, without the expectations of others, without the expectations of anyone except your own, what does that look like? And there are lots of ways, if you will, pillars in the book that are like a common thread that run throughout it. But what you won't find is this prescriptive nature to tell you how to do it. And you're right. I mean, I was surrounded um, with stories my entire career. And in fact, many of those stories are what make up the chapters in this book. And for your listeners um, who maybe have not previewed the book or haven't seen it, this is not a death and you know dying macabre book. This is a not book about all. this is yeah. a book about life. It's funny. It's ironic actually. When it debuted, um, it did so in the number one spot in the category of death on Amazon. And <laughs> I thought that was so funny because the book is really nothing to do with death. Certainly, it draws lessons from there. But you know, when you when you talk about being surrounded by stories, for me, there was one story in particular, and it really shifted my whole belief around legacy. And I I share the story in this book, and I'm happy to share it here as a preview. It's one of the very first stories in the book. So I I kind of think if people were standing holding the book in the store, this is probably the story they would read that would galvanize them to wanting to read more if, uh, if if they liked it. And it's the story that I was working in the funeral home, and I was doing, you know, what I did every day. I was conducting funerals for people. Mm-hmm. And it's commonplace that the funeral directors will stand at the back of the chapel, usually just outside the chapel. And there's there's speakers, obviously, as monitors for them to keep pace with the service, know where the, the clergy is at, and then, you know, uh, progress logistically throughout the service. And so it came time for the eulogies. And the eulogies that were shared for this man were just powerful. You know, and here I had heard thousands before, but there was just something about this man. He was loyal and loving, trustworthy, compassionate. That the list of adjectives to describe how he showed up in the lives of those that were sharing was endless. And he sounded like somebody I would have liked to have known. In fact, wow. he was grandfatherly in terms of his age, and part mm-hmm. of me probably saw my own grandfather in him. 
And I thought, what a blessing he has been in the lives of those in this room. There were tears of laughter. There were tears from sobbing. It was just a joyful celebration of this man's life. And I remember being struck thinking, gosh, I really hope they have told him before today. Mm -hmm. I hope that he understood the depth and breadth of his impact, that he understands how much of a difference he made. Because if he didn't, what a shame. What a shame it would be for him not to understand just the, just the, 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 the size of the impact he had in their lives. And it's when I realized, probably the first time, that everything we have ever been taught about legacy, either consciously or subconsciously, is that it's something we leave. Any mm-hmm. Google search right now on the word legacy always relates to the end once we are gone, once we're dead. And I've seen how powerful it is to shift that narrative from something we leave to something we live every single day and realize the impact while we're still here, to actually hone those values and characteristics that are so important to us and more so important to others around us. Things that lift them up, that we can do more often, that can be part of our everyday legacy to really be in control of that narrative and really understand the 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 depth of of how we show up. Mhm. That's a powerful message. And what I take is even if you're not feeling particularly powerful or uh productive right now, what I found is just how meaningful it is to reach out to somebody and thank them for their presence in my life. Um, I I always underestimate that impact. I think, oh, I'm going to call so-and-so or I'm going to text this person I haven't spoken to for a little while. And I come away feeling like I am so glad I did that because there's this great little lift. And sometimes it's a huge lift that carries me throughout the rest of the day. And one of the the ideas that you convey really powerfully throughout the book is the concept of presence versus being present in our lives, but also in the lives of other people. So can you talk about that for a moment? I love that that contrast. I think the the way that I look at um, being present is, as you said, what I, what I like to say is far different than having presence. You know, being present is physically being present. You know, mm-hmm. so I, you know, I, I can go into a room with a group of people, and I, my my attendance can be counted. Yeah. But when I contribute to that conversation in that room with those people, when I make a difference in that room with those people, when I engage, that's when my presence is counted. And it's similar to when we talk about listening and hearing. You know, hearing is just the auditory function of hearing things. Listening is really taking that information and and digesting it, contemplating it, and then contributing back uh, in you know with something meaningful. And so, right now, here we are in the world with COVID nineteen, and all of a sudden, we all have you know a, a, a confined ability to have presence. And so exactly what what you were alluding to is an exercise that I like to do with people. And it's asking them to reach out to someone for whom they're thankful. It can be by text. It can be by 
by phone. You can leave them a message. It doesn't matter. I like text because it it, it allows for the conversation to start and then someone can be uh, back and forth with you. But it's it's very small, and I'd encourage listeners to do this as, as soon as they're done listening to this this episode of your podcast. And that is to find someone in their contact list for whom they are incredibly deeply thankful are in their lives and send them a text messages with these simple words. My life is better with you in it because, and then fill in the rest and don't hesitate, just hit send. And then watch what happens couple things will happen. You might get a response saying, are you okay? (laughs) (laughs) You might get a response saying, pardon, question mark. Uh, And you might get a response that says, thank you so much. I can't tell you what that meant to me. It's exactly what I needed to hear right now. Thanks for creating the space to be grateful. By the way, this is why my life is better because you're in it. And I have seen the beautiful ramifications of these messages. And even myself, look, I don't live in a world of rainbows and unicorns. I'm like a spiritual pragmatist. I, I want I, I want some action here. I want to see some results. <laughs> sure. And so when I do this, uh, you know, it me- what it means is I'm also guilty of not doing this maybe as often as I would like to. But now's a great time to do those things. I mean, we're connected maybe too much to our devices and our phones and our iPads and our computers and Zoom calls and Facebook calls and WhatsApp calls and the list goes on. There's so many ways that we are connecting right now. In fact, I think we're probably getting a fair bit of fatigue with those things. Um, And if we haven't yet, many will in short order. But the vehicle by which you do this seems to disappear in the moment when it's filled with that kind of goodness. So what I mean by that is, yeah, you may be more, it may be more time on your phone. It may be more time at your computer, but when it's filled with this kind of uh, content, this gratitude, if you will, for one another and the gifts that we are in each other's lives, you sort of forget where you are in the world. And the world right now for some people is a good thing to forget. You know, it's got its, it's got its heaps of challenges. And so if you can create space for you and for others to exist in a space of gratitude and thankfulness, it's a great time to do that. I love that. That is incredibly simple and powerful at the same time. Um, I'm so happy that you could you could be on the podcast today. But before we wrap up, are there any last ideas or thoughts or reflections that you'd like to leave listeners with? I think right now, and I alluded to it off of the top of the podcast, that right now, the best thing we can do for each other, just as, you know, as humans, is to create space for people to be how they can be right now with what they have. You know, as I said, there are a lot of parents that are teachers, entrepreneurs that are trying to figure out how to keep their businesses afloat. There's a lot of people that are struggling with isolation because they're extroverts and they're missing that human connection. And the best thing we can do right now is just ask people how they're doing and ask genuinely Mm -hmm. and be prepared for the answer. Uh, Because while some people are managing just fine, there's lots that aren't right now. And so creating space is something that over the last several weeks, I've really been trying to do for people, which means not necessarily burdening them and and not to suggest that 
our successes or our productivity as a burden, but for somebody who's barely figuring out how to breathe right now, you know, they don't need to know that I'm learning four languages, reading 4,500 books. I've written three new ones, you know, all, all these different things. And, and I think people can probably relate to this. When you go onto social media right now, it's filled with this pandemic of productivity, if you will. Oh, that's a good, and good the, way of putting the, it. The challenge for someone who is trying to compare themselves, which may not be our own goal, but it certainly is the goal of our egos is this comparison, this, that, that pandemic of comparison. And inevitably some people just can't manage more than the simplest things right now. And so I've been really conscious to just try and create space for people to be however they need to be right now. Because, um, if baking 2,500 loaves of bread through this process is what gets you through, um, you know, do, do whatever you need to do. Uh, if it's not learning a new language, if it's not reading a single book or a single page in a book, that's okay too. If all you can manage right now is binging on, you know, terrible TV, because that's your, the way that you're coping, cope away. There's, there's no right way to do this pandemic. There's most of us have not lived through something like this to this extent before. You know, we've had things like SARS, we've had things like, uh, you know, the stock market crash, those sort of things. But this is new territory where we have been asked to sort of hold in place, if you will. Um, mm -hmm. and, and it's not one or, you know, two countries. We're talking about billions of people around the world are currently yeah. in their homes and they're doing so for the greater good of humanity. And so we have to we have to just understand that when a billion people, billions, if you will, um, that there's more than a few ways with which to manage through this. There's not one or yeah. two ways. There's billions of ways, and just to honor each of those. That reminds me of the expression: "Comparison is the thief of joy," and uh, that applies especially to social media feeds right yeah, now. I would 100%, say, a hundred percent. In your words, find your way to cope and embrace that. And I, I think that's it's a much less pressure, pressured orientation that we can all take heart from right 100%. now. Ah, thank you so much for being on the podcast, Cody. Thank you so much, Jana. I hope you enjoyed today's extended podcast interview please reach out over Anchor or Instagram and let me know what you think. And for more information on Cody, visit everydaylegacy.com or connect with him on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. We both love to hear your feedback. I look forward to connecting with you all again soon. Until next time, stay safe and be well.